remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe. This is the Word of God. You know, um, I looked up some statistics yesterday. They're very interesting. Most, most people pray. You may not believe this or not, but across the board in America, Americans, about 55% of Americans pray. Now, that's not just Christians. That's Christians, Muslims, and Jews. They didn't collect data from Hindu or Buddhist faith groups, but they did collect data from Christians, Muslim, and Jews. And 55% pray daily. Another 23% uh, pray weekly or monthly. So if you look at the statistics, about 78% of people are praying. And then if you go to, uh, if any of you are interested, you can go look up some other statistics. This was done by the Pew uh, Research Group. Uh, there's another one, uh, U.S. News and World did a, a similar survey, and they surveyed thousands of people over several years. And it's very interesting how many people, they statistics uh, agree with these pretty much, uh, and how many people's prayers are answered? You'd be surprised that Christians and Jews and Muslims' prayers are answered at about the same, at about the same rate. Now that's going to disturb some of you. It disturbed me. I hope it disturbs some of you. Uh, and we have been told, many of you probably aren't going to like what I'm going to say, but I have to tell you this. Uh, when I came into the Christian faith, I was told that God does not hear other people's prayers. Any of you heard that? That He only hears prayers prayed in the name of Jesus? Anybody? Just me. Okay, I was the only one. Uh, well, that's okay. I, I, was, I, I admit I got into Christianity in a very weird way. But God hears everybody's prayers. And He answers whoever's prayers He wants to. Yes? Do you all believe God is sovereign? Okay, well, he does what he wants. Uh, the difference, of course, and here's where we, we're not going to mush down any truth about this. The difference is the basis upon which we come to God in prayer. And this is what the Apostle Paul is uh, getting across, not only in the whole prayer, but in, specifically in the part we're going to look at this morning. Paul is saying to the Ephesian church, he's not going into all of the speculation, theological or philosophical, about whether or not God hears other people's prayers and at what rate He happens to choose to answer those other people's prayers. There is a truth in the Bible that God showers His blessings on both what? Both who? the just and the unjust. He pours out His grace. In fact, you will be able to leave here today and drive home in relative safety because people generally will obey traffic laws 
and give way and stop at stop signs. And so there's a general goodness that God has poured out upon His creation from the flood forward. From the flood forward, God created a world and an atmosphere in which there would be more good than bad. How was it before the flood? Every thought, every intent of man's heart was to do evil. And so before the flood, the world was in a state of chaos and violence unlike anything that you and I could imagine. But after the flood, he said, I will create a world in which things will operate according to a certain way so that my word and my kingdom and my covenants can flourish. And believe it or not, folks, they have. The Soviet Union tried to stop Christianity. How long, how long were they successful? In tens of thousands of years of human history, how many years was the Soviet Union successful? Not even 70. And in communist China today, the church is flourishing. From the, the cultural revolution of Mao Zedong until today, the church has flourished. You cannot stop the Gospel. You cannot stop the goodness of God. And so the Apostle Paul is telling the Ephesian church, here is how we pray. This is our prayer life. He doesn't go into comparing with all the other religions because everybody prayed in Paul's day as well. So look at verse 17. And what, what Paul is basically telling us is we looked at the character of our prayers last week, what prompts us to pray, what punctuates our prayers, thanksgiving, what keeps us or persevering in prayer, what keeps us persevering in prayer is God's faithfulness. This morning we're going to look at the direction of our prayers, specifically the Christian, the direction of our prayers. And this is where we, we are completely different than every other religion. And where your hope should lie is the direction of our prayers. And uh, we're going to look at three things. There's an author. There's an author to the direction of our prayers. Our prayers are about relationship, and there's an author. There is an agent, the Holy Spirit, and there's a mediator, the Son of God. So let's look at the author. You see, the 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 Apostle Paul does something in verse 17 that's remarkable. Let's let's read it again. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may He give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. This is, this is unique because Paul does not suggest that there are three gods. What Paul does brilliantly, and what I hope, I don't know if I can do it, but I'm going to try to communicate to you is Paul is teaching the Ephesian people, here is how you pray. You pray this way in a Trinitarian way. We are praying to God the Father. Not just any God, but God the Father. And not just any Father, God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, that He may give us His Spirit. Paul is saying something 
utterly unique. There's a God to these pagan Ephesian, the Asian world. He's saying there's a God out there that is not a monad. He's not a singular uh, spot in the heavens. And He exists all by Himself. No, He is a God who is multiple in His person, but singular in His essence. Now, we're probably it's going to be hard. That's basically what the Trinity is. The Trinity is God is one in His essential being, who He is. But He is experienced by us and known to us in three persons. And it's not that this one God manifests Himself in three people or three persons, but that He is in fact three persons. And that every one of those persons contains 100% of what it is to be God. That's basically what the Trinity is. Now, I don't understand it, and neither do you, and neither does anybody else, because you can't possibly comprehend something like that. You can apprehend it, you can get your arms around it and lay hold of the truth of it, but to completely comprehend it and understand it, no one does. So the Christian faith is essentially, listen carefully, Trinitarian. It's relational. It is relational. That's something else that no other religion has. You see, in, the, in Islam, you cannot have a relationship with God. It's impossible. You all know why, right? He is far too transcendent a being for anyone to have a relationship with Him. That's why He cannot have a son. Something very offensive to a Muslim is to say that God has a son. The prophet Jesus, the prophet Isa, in Islam, is just that, a prophet. But he is not God's son. He can't be God's son because God is so much more transcendent. And so we have, in, in, in Judaism, same thing. You have a God who is highly transcendent, although they were much closer than the religions of their time. But he was not singular. He is multiple in his being. In his personhood, his being is singular, excuse me. You see how hard it is to explain it. It's very difficult. Listen to what John Stott says very quickly. Christian faith and Christian life are fundamentally Trinitarian. The one is a response to the other. It is because the Father has approached us. Listen, it's because the Father has approached us in blessing through the Son and by the Spirit that we approach Him through the Son and by the Spirit. Do you see the relationship? Why it's so important? And so as you understand the relationship that God Himself has, you see, God has a relationship among the three persons of the Trinity. God loves the Son. The Son loves and obeys the Father. 
And the love, according to Jonathan Edwards, the love and adoration that was pulsing and beating and throbbing between the Father and the Son as they looked at one another, prostantheon, as they looked into one another's face, that that love and power and personhood took a form and shape itself, and that was the Holy Spirit and is the Holy Spirit. That that is the trend. I don't know if Jonathan Edwards is right, but I sure wouldn't want to disagree with him, would any of you? But if that's what we see as this magnificent being who is looking and gazing and wondering at himself, and that out of the well spring of that glory and majesty and beauty out of that starts to bubble a fountain of creation that spills out into the universe and that God creates out of that great love and adoration a world in which He intends to relate to His people and to His creation. You know, the book of Psalms says that in that day, whenever that day is, in that day, the trees of the field will do what? They're going to clap their hands. The rocks are going to shout for joy. The streams are going to sing. And you can't just think, well, that's just artistic uh, speech. That's just metaphor. No. What is the creation going to do? It is going to come alive in ways that we can't even imagine right now. And what will happen to us? We're going to come alive in ways that we can't even imagine right now. So we have an author, an author to our relationship. And that author is none other than God Himself. And Paul points out that it's God the Father. You know, I, I, I think that some of us get the impression that God, and if you're like this, maybe in our question and answer time, we can talk a little bit about I always had the view, and I, I'll just, I can only be self-referential because that's, I, I only know myself. I always thought that when God looked at me, He held His nose. Now I'm giving that away because you hear me say it a lot, right? Well, I'm, I'm confessing. That was my life. I grew up in a good family. I grew up, went to a, a, a regular church, the Eastern Orthodox Church. But I always had this sense that God was holding His nose at me. And that if I didn't, perform adequately, then I was not acceptable. And I think that many of us go through life that way. And I don't know about all of your family situations. Some people had fathers who were very demanding and crushed their spirits and therefore they grew up thinking I have to perform. Other people had fathers that could care less about what they did and so they, they end up struggling with indifference and not knowing whether anybody cares about what they do. I don't know your situation. And because my dad's here, I can't tell you the truth about our situation. <laughs> no, my, my dad's, a, my dad's a, a, a jewel. But in spite of that, I grew up thinking I wasn't good enough. And Paul and Jesus himself blows that to smithereens. He says, no, it's God the Father. And it's just, 
And it's not just God the Father of Jesus, it's God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, he says the author, listen folks, the author of your salvation is a father who loves you like his own dear child. He loves you in that way. And, and as I've told you in the past, as our pastor in Florida used to tell us, the cross does not secure God's love for you. God's love for you secured for you the cross. You see, we think sometimes that God just loves us because Jesus died for us. No, God loves us and did what? What did He do? He gave His Son for us. Do you see that? A Father. The love of a Father. Not just for one son, but for many sons and daughters, for his people. And out of that great love, he turns to his son and asks his son to do a great work for him. Will you, the elder brother, as Tim Keller famously says, will you, the true elder brother, Jesus, will you go rescue your prodigal? Your son's off in the far land, in the wilderness, eating from the pig trough, will you go rescue your older brother? And unlike the son in the prodigal, uh, uh, prodigal son's story, unlike the elder brother who refused to accept his younger brother, Jesus, the elder brother, does go. Does actually come and do what? He comes and rescues you and I at His Father's bidding. Why? Because the Father is outside His house looking for us. Loving us. And folks, to pray to God, if you're going to do anything with your prayer life, you're going to have to break through whatever barriers are there in thinking that God is somehow withholding His love from you or holding back to seeing how well you're doing or in some way holding His nose at you or some way not loving you completely and fully as He does His own Son. Our union, listen to this, our union with Christ puts us in union with the Father. And only there, what is He? He's the Father of glory. Only there will you find your glory and your purpose. A lot of what troubles us in our lives, I don't, at least that's true for me, a lot of what troubles me in my life is I'm trying to squeeze glory out of other things. Out of my children, out of my wife, out of my career, out of being pastor of Christ the King. God forgive me. We're trying to squeeze glory and meaning and significance from all these things. And they leave us empty. Find your glory in the Father who loved you and gave His Son for you and then comes along and leaves the Spirit with you. Find your glory in Him, the Father of glory. And then every other thing can make sense and can actually be meaningful. In other words, our careers can take on a beauty that they never had before. Our children can become really beautiful to us instead of just ways in which we show everybody how a great parent we are. And if your kids go off the rails, then what? Then you don't get any glory, do you? You see what happens to us, or our career. Maybe it's not taken off the way we expect it to. Or our marriage. 
Whatever the case is, if you're getting glory from those things and they don't satisfy you, then what? Then you live a life of misery. God is saying, find your glory in me. Paul is building what I told you the very first week we started. Paul is building a grammar upon which the language of your life can take shape and take form. Our identity will only, listen folks, our identity will only be as strong as the relationship with our Father. And our obedience, our efforts in that relationship, and with others. You see, what this means is that our relationship with God the Father is going to be reflected in your relationship with everybody else. Our obedience and effort in relationship with others will only be as healthy. So here, I'm going to ask you to do something today. And some of you will do it, some of you won't, but I'm going to ask everyone to do this. I want you to take an honest and painful look at your relationships with your spouse, with your children, with the parent, maybe you're not married, with whoever it is in your life. Take an honest look. How am I treating those people with your relatives, with your co-workers, with people at church? How am I treating those people? And then I want you to go a little deeper. Because if you do this, you will find something remarkable. Go a little deeper. How am I treating them really? Not just superficially. Not just the sweet church Sunday morning, hi, how are you, the fake smile. How am I treating them really? How do I feel about my people at my church, my work, my friends, my family, those around me? How do I really and truly feel down inside? Do you know where Jesus talked about purity of heart, folks? Do you know what he talked? You know what I'm talking about? Purity of heart. Do you know what he means when he talks about purity of heart? What Jesus means when he talks about purity of heart is that you are the same outside as you are inside. In other words, your life, who you are, has integrity. That you are not one face to one group of people and another face to another group of people. Which is the definition of hypocrite. We suffer, folks. We suffer in our relationships because we are not honest with ourselves and we're not honest with God. But if we would become honest with Him, the Father of glory we would then begin to relate to one another differently and we will be honest with one another. Not brutally honest, not cruel, but we will actually be who we are. There will be integrity. The author of our relationship. What about the agent? The agent is the Holy Spirit. He says the Spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. And in most of your Bibles, Spirit is capitalized. And in some Bibles, Spirit is little s. And that's because the translators are trying to figure out what did Paul really mean? Because in the Greek, it doesn't say. It just says pneuma, which means Spirit. And there's no capitals, no nothing. It's just Spirit. What did he mean? You have to get it from the context. And so the best translators, the ones that I think are most reliable, recognize this as Holy Spirit. As the Holy Spirit. The person of the Holy Spirit. Not a force, a la Luke Skywalker. Not the force. 
but the third person of the Trinity. He is the agent. He is our way of relating. We want to know, how do you walk in the Spirit? You walk in integrity, purity of heart, according to the Holy Spirit. That's what walking in the Spirit is. It's not gliding over the uh, ground by about 12 or 18 inches, which is what a lot of Christians think. It's, it's being in some ethereal existence. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about walking in accord with a spirit, the spirit of wisdom and revelation. In other words, what's going to characterize your life and my life is going to be wisdom and revelation. It's going to be understanding, getting good teaching. You know, some of us will turn on the Christian radio. I don't know if you're one of those people. Turn on the Christian radio and listen to every single thing that's out there. That's poison. Do you realize that? You have to go listen to RC. Then you will find the good stuff. No, I'm kidding. We have to be careful of what we hear. Careful of what we imbibe. And Americans are willing to take almost anything in. And uh, so it is that we are uh, often corrupted by what we hear. We're supposed to have wisdom, understanding, discernment. That's what the Spirit does for us. We're supposed to be wise as serpents and yet harmless uh, as doves. And revelation is illumination. Now don't think illumination is secret knowledge. In other words, God gives Chuck illumination because he's the pastor. And I have some special dispensation of the Holy Spirit. Illumination is for all of us. Illumination. So we are asking God to give us light and clarity. And some of us need that uh, often. So our walk is characterized by wisdom and revelation both in our mind and in our experience. In the way we experience life. In the way we live uh, our lives. Sinclair Ferguson and his commentary, I love these guys are so good, you, you just can't get over it sometimes. Here's what Ferguson says about this, walking in the Spirit, walking according to the Holy Spirit, walking with wisdom and the revelation of the knowledge of God. This is what he says, how we live the Christian life is in large measure determined how we think about our future. You see, he's talking about the hope in verse 18 and 19, which I didn't re reference to you, but he's talking about the knowledge that we're going to gain in wisdom and revelation is going to lead to hope. How you think about your future. I I'm glad that Gary prayed about the election. Because everybody's wringing their hands about the election. And guess who's wringing their hands the hardest? Guess what group that is? It starts with a C. They're Christian. Christians are wringing their hands. Listen to the radio. Sean Hannity is saying it's the end of the world. If we don't know that this is the 10th time he's done it, I like Sean, I listen to him, but it's the 10th time he's done it. He says, the end of the, if we don't make a difference in this election, then what? What? It's, oh, it's done. We're done. The United States is done. Look, the United States might be done, folks. I don't know. But if it's done, it's done by the providence of God. 
Yes? Do you believe that? I don't like that, right? I want it to be because of me. But if you're going to go vote Tuesday or if you've already voted, your hope had better be in who? Who? In God, yes. You better have your hope in Him, whichever way it goes. Because if it goes good, fine, hallelujah, we give Him praise and honor. If it goes bad, hallelujah, good, praise and honor, we wait for the next election. Yes? Do you see? That gives you hope for the future. It lets you live, really live, authentically live in a way that other people cannot live and do not live. And so this is what Sinclair Ferguson is talking about. God's revelation about the future is to transform the way we live in the present. The difference between Christian... The Apostle Paul put it this way in another place. If He's talking about the resurrection. And he says, if in this life we only have hope, then we are of all people to be most what pitied. We are of all people most miserable. If it's only in this life that we have hope. But if we see that God's purpose for the world goes from beginning to creation to new creation and that you are included because He loves you and wants you to be part, deeply part of His world and His creation. If you see that flow and you have hope, you can look ahead not just to heaven, but to a new creation, a new earth where justice and righteousness and a true king will reign and will do what is right, then you can go to the polls with hopefulness and you may be sad at the outcome and disappointed and worried a little bit about the future of our country. Fine, those are good. But it doesn't destroy you. It doesn't undermine who you are because the agent, the way in which you are relating to God is none other than the Holy Spirit. Imagine what kind of life that would be. The peace. The confidence. And while we're disturbed, I get disturbed every day when I turn the news on and I listen to things that are going on, not only here, but around the world, like you. I get disturbed. But that disturbance is a, is a prompts me to go to my Father in prayer and in confidence by the power to walk in the Spirit, to be that one person. And I'm encouraging you, be that one person that truly becomes salt and light to the world around you. And finally, let's look at the mediator. So we've seen the author, the agent, and now the mediator. He talks about our Lord Jesus Christ. Look, let me give you a little tip real quickly. Every time you read Christ in your Bible, Every time. Think king. Because the word Christos in Greek or Mashiach in Hebrew meant the anointed king. The one upon whom God placed His Spirit to accomplish a certain thing for Him. And so the kings of Israel were God's Christos. They were God's Mashiach. They were God's anointed one. They were God's sons. They were the sons of God. And so when a king of Israel stood up and pledged his allegiance to God and they anointed him with the oil of that kingship and he 
placed a crown upon his head. When that happened, that king became the representative of the people to God. This is my son in whom I am well pleased, King David, and all of the people of Israel are his children, his flock, his family. And so the king took up this place of headship, representing the people to God. And so when we looked at the book of Kings a few months ago, I told you that as the king's life went, so went the nation of the people, the nation of Israel. If the king was a righteous king, a good king, an honorable king, and promoted the things of God, the nation would go well. But when the king was not righteous and was evil and wicked, things went badly in the nation of Israel. The king was a mediator between God and his people. So was the priest and so were the prophets. But the king uniquely represented God's people to God himself. So what holds this relationship? We have an author, we have an agent. Where is the glue that's holding it all together? And what Paul tells us not only here but in other places which we'll look at in the future is what holds this together is none other than our Lord Jesus Christ, our King. Our King. If what I just told you is true, folks, the, the peace of God should flood this room right now and fill you to the top, to the brim. Because as our King goes, so go we. Did you hear that? Let Novembers go as they may. As our King goes, not King Obama, as our King goes, so goes our world. And we have every confidence that our King is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. And so we can live with confidence. How do you think Christians in the past watched their families slaughtered before their very eyes? How about today in northern Iraq and eastern Syria? How about today? How could you possibly live in that kind of world? And the Christian world flourished then. How do you live there? You can only live there if you're looking at your king. Not Caesar, not Nero, not Domitian, but your King, King Jesus. And as He goes, so go you. They might take my head off, but they can't touch me. They can't get to me. They may kill my family, but they can't get me. They may take my money, but they can't get me. They may destroy my reputation and my career, but they can't get me. And unless you embrace that, that Jesus Christ is not only dies for you, but lives as you, that He stands before God the Father as your representative, representing you, then how would you possibly pray? See, that to me 
would spur me on to pray, and I hope it will spur you on to pray. Jesus Christ was forsaken on the cross, died for us and as us, so that that broken relationship with God could be repaired, not just repaired, but put into overdrive. We are not just standing in God's presence and now He says, okay, well, I'll kind of accept you now. I mean, after all, look at what Jesus did for you. No. (coughs) You have a Father who got up from His throne and ran out to greet you, embraced you, took you into His house, stopped you when you said, look, I'll, I'll, I'll be a slave to you. I'll be your employee now. No, no, no. He put His hand over our mouth and He said, no, stop talking. And He's holding His hand over the mouth of the Son and He's saying to the servants, go get My best robe. Kill the fatted calf. That's who you have. You have a God like that, that loves you like that, that wants you back like that. And who will stay faithful to you on your worst day because He already did. That's our God. Will you trust Him? I hope you will. Let's pray. Father, thanks so much for Your goodness and Your mercy. Um, When we think about Your great love for us, the agent that You've sent to live and abide with us, and Your beautiful Son, who You sent into the wilderness of death and hell and the grave for us. Oh, Father, I pray that that will spur us on to pray more, to fill our lives with it. Please help us do that. In Christ's name, amen.